find myself often asking, how do I tell if I'm an adult? I've met older people that are immature and act like they're still in high school, so what does it take to be an adult? The best I could come up with is not dying before you turn 18. So I have a hard time identifying as an adult, especially since I still feel like a kid. That being said, I want to talk with other quote adults and learn from them. After all, the quickest and typically the most painless way to learn is through others. Somehow, we're adults. So, uh, so, welcome back. Yeah, this is well, this is you. your this is your first time doing the podcast since. I mean, it's come a long way. And when yeah, you that's... when you did it, it was uh, at my apartment, and it was uh, that was uh, on my dining room table and recorded on just on like on my Mac, just like on the microphones that are built into my computer. And yeah, that's got... true. Yeah, we didn't have real microphones or uh, a yeah. real room to do it in. Yep, so, I uh... built. I even built the table specifically for this room okay. for this purpose. Well, and I brought the cups specifically yeah. for this oh, yeah. event. The <laughs> retired principal since twenty twenty one. Retired principal. Congratulations! Yeah. What does it What does it feel like to retire? Um, you know, I, I think what I told my staff at my retirement party was retirement's not for wimps. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of sides to it. One, there's the financial side and managing the money, but there's, there's also, um, you know, the side of what are you going to do each morning when you get up? And a lot of it will depend on where you come from. If for instance, the more you are into your job and it's a part a big part of your life the harder it is to retire if you you know you don't have any hobbies or or plans of how you're going to use your time um i i felt like myself um that i put a lot of effort into my work but i also had a life outside of that and and so it was almost maybe a 50 50 or or maybe 60% work, 40% life. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm having to rebalance my life now and figure out, you know, what, what do the days look like? And there's some days I wake up and I go, wow, what am I going to do today? And, and, and it can really, it can be overwhelmingly pleasant or overwhelmingly depressing. Scary, scary, scary depressing. at times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm so used to being around people and it's taken some time and effort to, kind of back out of that and, and learn to enjoy uh, walking a, a nature trail or something yeah. like that. I do that common uh, on a regular basis. Um, but then when I walk it, I'm always looking for people to talk to yeah. as yeah. well. And so, um, you know, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it. I, I, I absolutely um, want to continue down this road, even though there are things I wouldn't mind doing, other other. Uh, jobs or careers that I wouldn't mind doing. It's like, no, I've, I've, I've been working for four, almost 40 years now. It's time for me to enjoy it. And here's another perspective, too. I'm, I'm kind of looking, you know, we've got the travel trailer. We plan on, uh, when my wife, you know, retires, we plan on doing some traveling around the country, around the world, whatnot. And um, I realize now at 61 years old, I'm probably only going to do be able to do that till age 75, maybe age 80. And so I've got less than 20 years that I'm going to have to, to do this. So we need to start making some plans, which which we will do, kind of our bucket list of where, where is it that we want to go, what is it we want to do over the next 15 to 20 years. 
And um, and then you get to that point where physically you're you're not wanting to pull a travel trailer anyhow. And and how much are you going to want to get on a plane and mm-hmm. and and even travel to Europe or or something like that? You know, into areas that you know you need to be very aware of where you are. So and, and you also need to balance that with your like you said earlier with your finances too. Yeah. Because if you try to do all the traveling you want to do in you know in a, in a year or two, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna blow out that retirement savings. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, and that's not something you want to set yourself up for. You have to balance it out and yep. you know do it at a at a a good enough pace to where you're you're making those vacations. That you go, okay, these probably make a, a do you make like a priority list? I would imagine. Yeah. Because this is places I want to go to first. Yeah. These are places I would like to go to, but it's not detrimental if I never go. Yeah. Um, and then some of it's built around the age too. For example, I want to haul my travel trailer with in it with a caravan of other trailers to Alaska. And, and, and that's, that a, fun. that's a heck of a, a drive to go there. And, um, but, but I don't want to wait till I'm 75 to 80 years old to do that. I, I'm thinking I need to do that um, probably uh, between time Missy retires in about three years. Missy to, being your wife. Missy so being my wife, thank yeah. you. Yep. Uh, to uh, age 70. If I'm going to make that long trip, I probably need to do it by age 70 at the latest when I physically... Um, have, have the best ability yeah. at that point. So. Yeah. I mean, for sure, something like uh, I, I was thinking while you were talking about all this is this is a very pivotal point. I mean, there's a lot of pivotal points in people's lives from what mm-hmm. I'm learning. Milestones, yep. Right. And, and you know, when you retire and how you retire are going to set up what the next, like, 20, 30 years look like. Yes. Because, um, you know, a huge thing that a lot of people do, it, retirement will kill a lot of people. Mm-hmm. unfortunately, yes. because like you said, that work was their life. Mm-hmm. They would get done with work and they'd watch TV, they'd eat dinner, and that was the extent of their evenings. Yeah. And they were just trying to soak up time until the next day when they went back to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and unfortunately, when you take that work out, they just do that thing that they did to kill time yeah. all the time, which yeah. is watch TV and, you know, suck in oxygen and yes. breathe, you know. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, I think like the average, like, um, I think it's like 11 years that people stay retired before, like it, it kills a lot of people because they yeah. just don't have that. Like if you read anything about retirements, a lot of what they say is have plans to do things when you're retired yeah. to keep you busy. I know somebody recently told me that the, their husband had retired once and he stayed retired for less than a month and drove himself crazy mm-hmm. and it had to go back to work. Yep. And so now he's working and just turned 70 years old yep. and continues to work every yep. day. And uh, he he does play golf uh, on a real regular basis, usually Saturdays and Sundays. But you know you can only play so much golf at, at the golf club, and and you, you know you have to have more than one hobby, I would assume. Absolutely, absolutely. You have to dabble in a lot of things. Yes, and um, you know, tr- and again, trying to figure that out. And and unfortunately, what happens with a lot of people is they become very passive about the whole process. They they they. They're not so much worried about retiring. They're worried about not working. Well, but but they become passive in their life. And, and they, you know, one of the things I've learned with people, there, there's those people that are very pleasant people, that are very relaxed people. And they're always great to sit down and chit-chat with a little bit. But, but they also don't push the envelope with you or themselves or anybody else. And, and then you've got those people that are, I'll call kind of high-maintenance, that have strong opinions about things that are always pushing the envelope on on themselves and everybody else, and and trying to figure out where you fit in life with those kinds of people, 
and where do you want to be in your life with those kinds of people can be real uh, challenging at times. Um, you know, I, I find fa family members, and as you're trying to work with your different family members, where do they fall in that spectrum of I'm a really kicked back person and, and easy to talk to, or am I that go-getter that does everything? There's the people who over-schedule, and there's the people who under-schedule. Exactly. Yeah, I'm definitely an over-scheduler. I, yes. I, I pack more into my day than I can probably do on a normal basis. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So, did you? Are you one of those, you would say? Um, I lean more in that direction, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would say I, I'm, I'm pretty good about... On most days, not over scheduling, but sometimes it's just you know some things slip through the crack and get pushed to the next day. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. But I try not to to do it on a regular basis. I try to get everything done. Well, and here at retirement, I'm trying not to overdo that. I'm trying to to uh, manage my time. And there's projects I want to do, and with my house and with my travel trailer, and and um, and and I'm not saying I have to have them all done within three months or six months or even a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of this is going to probably take me several years mm -hmm. to get through. And that's okay. Yeah. As long as I'm moving you have, forward. You have plenty and, of years ahead I'm, of you if, you're, if you do it right. And I'm already checking things off the list, you know, slowly but surely. So and what, What's some of the things on your list? Um, well, I've got a, a lot of work I want to do to the house. So remodeling, new cabinets in there, uh, getting ready to... Uh, probably redo the roof on the house and add a, a permanent back porch onto it versus the temporary one that's that's been on there for years. Um, uh, Want to redo some of the outside of the house and put some hardy uh, hardy plank type uh, fake wood, concrete wood as they call it. You Just know. spruce the house up. Yeah, 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 make it look nicer. Yeah. And all uh, the stuff you didn't have time to do whenever you time were or the money, you know, or did, well, it's kind of funny. You think you'd had more money, but. Uh, but my priorities were a little different in many cases uh, to create experiences for the family versus, you know, dumping money into the house. Right. And so, um, you know, different people come up in different times and have different priorities. Yes, keep the house maintained, keep it working, but but to... Um, Make sure you're not caught up too much and not living life. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, you never know when your number's called and you yeah. you got to step away for the rest of it, you know. So so what other hobbies besides taking care of the house? Because that's only going to take a couple years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and and again, we've got the traveling with the travel trailer um, sprinkled throughout. Yeah, sprinkled throughout, and uh, another trip. To, well, it looks like uh, this coming summer we may go up to Maine again, Ooh. and so um, that'll probably take about four weeks to do that. And then uh, I'd like to make another trip to Yellowstone. Uh, also, want to go out there at some point where I can um, uh, do the antelope hunt that the Airstream Club does has done, and uh, I have the same rifle that my grandfather and my father shot. An antelope with talk about it. Um, so three, it's a uh, it's a uh, Savage model eighteen ninety nine means it first came out in eighteen ninety nine. This this particular one uh, was released um, or was manufactured in about nineteen fourteen or nineteen fifteen. I was actually hoping to get out there at its hundredth anniversary and really you know play it up, but it, it just didn't happen at that time in my life. But um, they, uh, every year, the Airstream Club, or most every year, they have an uh, antelope hunt in Medicine Bow, Wyoming, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Probably gorgeous. And, yes, and uh, a group of Airstreamers meet up out there. They, uh, you have to pull permits, try to pull permits ahead of time. And they go on to some, I think, private properties 
to, uh, to hunt antelope. And then if you get one, you sign the big banner that you were at the, the antelope rally. You're going to eat it, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you take it and have um, uh, a butcher uh, harvest the, the animal. Teach you and, how to do it. Well, uh, you know, and then they typically uh, put it on dry ice and uh ship it back ship for it you back yeah, well, you for just, you. yeah. So, we, uh, we could i mean we can get you to do it yourself if you want to save you some money <laughs> all right we, well i can get you to come hunting with me one day we'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, figure that out at some point you know all, all animals are i mean they're all the same oh yeah same all thing things pretty much yeah yep. yep same cuts of meat yep. yep so uh anyhow that that rifle's a beautiful rifle and um it's got a specific caliber do you remember the caliber yeah it, it's uh the caliber it was originally called the 250 3000 250-3000, being a 25 caliber bullet that traveled at 3,000 foot a second. Uh, that that uh, round was actually designed by Newton, the, the scientist. Oh, really? Yes, it was. And and it was the first bullet to exceed 3,000 foot a second. Hmm. And they used an 87 grain bullet originally. Which is it. a relatively small grain bullet compared to most of the hunting rounds used now. That's correct. And um, but but it was and even to this day, it's not a slow bullet at three thousand yeah. foot a second. Uh, these days, you don't find it in that size bullet. You typically find it in a hundred grain bullet, and it you know runs on 28, 2900 foot a second, something like that. But it's a lever action rifle. Uh, it's got a built-in magazine, holds like five or six rounds in it. And then uh, a Weaver 4X scope was added to the top of it. It kind of looks more time, uh, even though it was probably a 1950s scope that was on it. <clears throat> yeah, but it's but, definitely not a brand new, you know, loophole or, no. or Vortex scope. No, yeah. no. Yo, are you going to change out the scope for when you go hunting? I don't know. I haven't thought that far yet with it. I hate to mess <sighs> with it in a way, you know. Yeah, but, but that, that scope is... Yeah. Not helping you. No. The technology of scopes has changed tremendously since Oh, yeah. Then. Well, and, and here's the thing. Uh, most of these people, there's so many antelope out in this part of Wyoming that most people are getting them within um, 200 yards anyhow. Yeah, but with, with so, a four-power scope, and I know you're not going to believe this from, from shooting competitions, but 200 yards with a four-power scope when you're killing an animal mm-hmm. is a lot more difficult um, than, than you'd think about. Cause like okay. we, where we hunt, we're doing, um, typically most of what we do is within a hundred yards mm-hmm. and I'm using a, um, three by nine scope and a 30 out six. Okay. So I'm using a, a, a much more powerful scope than that four power. Mm-hmm. And cause shot placement is everything. It's not yes. just, you know, on an AR, uh, you know, cause you shoot competitions as well. Um, on an AR we use, um, um, BDC reticles, bullet drop compensation reticles. Yes. So it, it shows you on the little image that shows up in your scope, um, you know, the different, you have different holdovers that are marked on it that mm-hmm. show if you're shooting at something that's 400 yards, you have a little post yep. for 400, you have one for 500, 600, you know, two, three, all the things. And so it becomes easier, but you're shooting at a big metal target and you're just trying to hit it. Yes. I mean, how many times do you miss it? Yeah, and then can you put it specifically on one point of that target? Yes, because that's what you're trying to do on something that is capable of moving. Yes, and yes. and you might not have the best of. Uh, it's not going to always be broadside to you. Yeah, it could it could be facing you. You know, yep. and a lot of shots that um, that our group of hunters have done is is like straight on shots mm-hmm. where it's facing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you're aiming at a head at that point. You're trying to hit a brain on on, on an animal that size or, yeah. or that you know that that distance. So I just would think that. If you're shooting at 200 yards, you want as much magnification as you can, mm-hmm. so you have the utmost confidence. Because you've hunted before, 
right? Very little, actually. Well, very little. Have you ever have you ever um, put down an animal? No. So have well, you ever... I say it not in a hunting situation. Okay. Well, well, I'm sorry, in a, in a hunting situation. But um, <clears throat> have you ever seen an animal that you were going to shoot at while you were hunting? Yes. Do you remember the adrenaline dump that you got from that? Oh yeah. Oh it's, yeah. It's so intense. Yes. That you need everything on your side Absolutely. to help you out. And Absolutely, that, that was yeah. just that's just my thought process when it goes into yeah. keeping that 1950s scope is you're going to have something at 200 uh, you know 100 to 200 yards probably yep. and you're going to be trying to hit a specific part of that animal mm-hmm. and then you're going to have a obsolete piece of technology. Yep. You know, it's like trying to FaceTime somebody on a Nokia, you know yeah. what I mean, from like a like a, like a, a block phone from the two thousand and one. Well, and a couple of things. I mean, uh, um, I, and I, I hear where you're coming from on that, and 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 you are very right to make sure you're it, making it, that. You definitely that can great do shot. it with that, for, yeah. but but I would just yeah. for somebody who's well, not ex- experienced. Well, and part of the hunting, hunting out there will is that it's all in the wide open. You're in the plains. You're not in the woods or anything. Right. And uh, helps a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And then and. In the cases that I know of with my grandfather and my father, the animal was not moving. And now my grandfather claimed it was almost a quarter mile that he shot it. Now, I don't believe that it was that far out. Um, let, let him have his moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but And he's not he's not around any longer to question about it. Um, and there's no, there's no video evidence, camera evidence saying that it wasn't that. Exactly. So you can't prove him wrong. Exactly. And so, um, and, and I know the one my father shot was within uh, probably the last 15 years. And, and was it he, really? Yeah. Oh, and okay. he, and he really wasn't a hunter at all. You yeah. know, he just went out there with the rifle and, and with a group of people and, and shot it and brought it home. You well, know? He, he was a hunter as a kid. Um, not much though. I mean, mainly small games, squirrel, yeah, yeah, squirrel, uh, yeah, that kind yeah, of squirrel stuff. Yeah, and yeah. little rodents and stuff like that with his father. Yeah. 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 A lot so, of 22s, uh, 22 caliber. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, um, and, and I don't know, I mean, that, that's a question in my mind, uh, in that one of my daughters and son-in-law are real into hunting. Will I do much more hunting or not? And, and I don't know. I might, I might not. Um, it's so much fun. You know, the and, camaraderie of it, being yeah. out there with a bunch of guys, I and mean, sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, uh, girlfriends will go too, and you yeah. know, um, but mostly it's just a big group of guys, and everyone's talking shit about each other, and well, that you know, sounds like a other. competition shooting oh, too. I but, mean, uh, but on ten, okay, but on ten, competition shooting's like five out of ten. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, it, the camaraderie so, of it. I mean, that's the whole point of most of most hobbies, anyways. Is yeah. if you don't have good camaraderie, I mean, that's or that's probably why so many people love golf. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. if you go out and golf by yourself, it's not as fun as if you have a group of guys out there that are all drinking and yeah, talking. Well, shit. and again, that that's a big part is the the competition shooting is is as much about the social life yeah. as it is about the actual shooting yeah. and, and and pushing yourself. You know, trying to achieve a higher level. Yeah, I enjoy the competition. Yeah, uh, part of it, and so um, I I don't have to win, but it sure is fun when you push yourself and push yeah. others. Yeah. Um, to, to do the best you can. Yeah. And then so. you, you run a course and you go, all right, you guys, go take a stab at it. You're not going to get close. You're not going to touch my school. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Then we yep. talk. I love it. Talk trash. Oh, it's the best. So, it's the best. Uh, and then it's just like, I mean, that, that same kind of feeling you get from sports too, you know, when you're yeah. playing basketball or, or baseball or stuff like that, everyone's kind of just, it's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah. So what are you going to do to help? Like, do you have any plans of like doing anything to make sure your body lasts as long as it can for retirement and as well as your mind you know and that's one of the things that uh um, missy and i have uh 
uh, even talked about in the last couple of days more and more. So um, the you know with some of the competitive shooters I saw as they got reached you know like close to age seventy, uh, the ones that were overweight really dropped off tremendously their capability of competing and 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 you know running the courses and so forth and and then you have those people that have stayed in good shape and so um you know i'm already starting to work on our diet some and uh you know you and your partner have to you know if, if y'all are eating the same meals each night you, ha- you have to have discussions about this and be on the same page and uh, so so we've been talking about how we might approach this and a lot more talking to go but but just like cutting carbs back in your diet is a big thing cutting sugar back in your diet is is a big thing so um and then and then you know uh, some you know form of exercise uh, you know, I mean, I've started with some real simple things like, you know, typically uh, when I go out and walk these trails, which will be a couple times a week, I, I'm typically walking uh, two to three miles um, in a morning. But uh, but now I need to push that like to another level. So trying to figure out and, and one, I need to do it preferably with a group of people. It much makes it more, easier. Much, makes easier, more, more uh, motivating and you build in that social aspect mm-hmm. of it. But also, I mean, do I want to go to a gym, for instance, and, you know, get on the machines, get on the, the treadmill or the Stairmaster or whatever, and, and or do I want to, um, you know, we live very close to a ski school out here. and Water and skiing? Water skiing. Okay. And I did a lot of that when I was younger, and it was some of the best shape I was ever in. And I'm debating whether to uh, approach them about uh, volunteering and, um, and I mean, what's more fun than going out there with a bunch of people having fun, um, you know, water skiing either behind a boat or behind or on a, um, they have uh, those tracks. Yeah. The yeah. lines. Yeah. I forget mm-hmm. what they call those, uh, now it'll pull around the lake and, and getting some exercise that way too. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, have you considered getting a personal trainer? I have. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about that, uh, especially to get me started with it. It's a good way and, to learn. Yeah, it is exactly. A great way to learn. And, um, and so again, we really, Missy and I had that discussion here, uh, the other day, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, in, in our cases, not necessarily doing it together, but, but trying to reach the same goals and, and maybe doing it separately where we're in a, comfort comfort zone i can't be her trainer she can't be mine oh you got and, that's a good way to end your marriage yeah, yeah. exactly so it's like, it's like putting us in a canoe together instead of giving us individual kayaks you gotta set yourself up for success yes Don't which, say, yeah, yeah which is know. another hobby that uh yeah. we're we're revisiting now yeah. too is paddling kayaks around yeah so, yeah that'd be fun yeah um the good part is that most of the hobbies that you're talking about are physical things yeah and, exactly and, and that's going to keep you busy um the the huge part about um, older people that they don't, they don't, they don't realize, or as you get older, that happens is you lose bone density mm-hmm. and bone density. That's why so many, the, the majority of people that break bones are older people. Yes. And so th- there's ways you can, um, increase your bone density, believe it or not. Okay. Did you know that lifting weights actually increases your bone density? I have heard that before. I hadn't remembered that, but the, that's the good more point. of a strain you put on your frame mm-hmm. with being your bones, okay. the, uh, the, the more your bones go, okay, this is what we have. This is something we have to do. And they get stronger because of it. You, does it increase bone size as well, or just the density of it? Density. Yeah. Well, and you know, another big thing as you get older, if I understand is drinking enough water. 
too. That's not even an as you're older thing. That's an all the time. Well, thing. it is an all the time thing, but but for what I understand, uh, from uh, helping half gallon. I well, I just brought my smaller one for the show. You know, your, your little sip one. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And um, and and uh, heard an article the other day about the mental um, benefits of making sure that you're hydrated. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, uh, having run the outdoor environmental school. You know, that was something we were always pushing with the kids. Kids don't drink water, number one, many times, and and they don't drink enough of it. Yeah. And, and, and the way to drink it is just to continually sip on it all day long. Well, um, the way I think about it, this is actually one of the things I thought about um, that actually got me to drink more water. That's because I was like, man, it's so hard to drink enough water. To, you know, the, the, they say that the litmus test for drinking enough water is the color of your urine, right? Yes, yes. So if it's clear, you're doing a good job of hydrating. Yep. There's yep. such a thing as too much, but at that point, it, it's so hard to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, how come I can't do that? But I was like... But at that time, I was like, it's it's nothing for me to drink 12 beers in two hours. Mm-hmm. He asked me to drink 12 beers in two hours, and it's, mm-hmm. oh, okay, it's, that's a Saturday. You know what I mean? That's nothing. You know, it's why can't I do that with beer, but I can't do that with water? And I was like, oh, it's because when I'm walking around with a beer, that's what I'm holding on. That's, that's like my goal is to drink that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, when you drink a beer, you don't drink a beer because you're, unless you, you start drinking because you're thirsty. But once you get to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth beers, you're like, Oh, I'm I'm not thirsty anymore. You're just drinking it anytime you feel like you can drink it. Mm-hmm. And so once you realize that it's a mentality, it's like, okay, I just need to drink water when I feel like I can drink water. Because mm-hmm. if I wait till I'm thirsty, I'm already dehydrated. Yes, that's so, correct. So that that's what I do is I go, can I consume water at this point and will it make me throw up? If the answer is yes, I don't drink water. But if the answer is no, I'm like, okay, I can drink some water right now. Yeah. And it keeps you full throughout the day. Uh, it, it helps satiate your, your hunger some, somewhat. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, when you're hydrated, you feel better. You have more energy. Yes, you know, absolutely. It, it's great for your skin. Great yeah. for, your brain has got a lot of water in it. Yep, you know? yep, yep. So, and your body needs it. Yep. Also keep 70% you getting, water. And it'll keep you from getting kidney stones too. Kidney, keep you from getting <laughs> kidney stones. It helps your kidneys work. Your All your... your uh, your urine function, everything a part of that keeps it everything Absolutely. working. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, kidney failure is a real thing. Oh, yeah. And, and you know. Absolutely. Kidneys, are, you know, what, what filters out your blood. So yep. you've got to take care of them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that's something I focus on a lot. Now, what about your, your keeping your mind busy so that that way you don't start to develop dementia or something yeah. like that? Well, and um, part of that would be, you know, the construction work I'm looking at doing and I, I met with a contractor this week about doing the roof on the back porch uh, rebuilding or building a permanent roof uh, for the back porch uh, but I'm also doing some homework along with any of those projects that's a little piece of it really the biggest thing at this point has been um, managing my finances my, my and I say that uh, well managing I mean there's the pension uh, side of it uh, but there's also the um, uh, the investments that I have, and I've been doing some different things with them since um, since I retired, and uh, I've taken uh, a big chunk of my money and put it into a particular um, mutual fund company that has some really great tools. And uh, actually, mutual funds are the old way anymore. To I don't really have mutual funds. I have uh, ETFs and um, isn't it EFTs? Is it EFTs? I think, yeah. We're no, traded. Uh, no, it's. Um, um, oh yeah, maybe I'm wrong. No, it is ET. Uh, EFT traded funds. Wait a minute. Um, 
electronically traded funds or something like that. Can yeah. you Google that, Cole? What an EF, EFT or it's ETF? ETFs, yeah. E- ETF. Um, what is an ETF? Extra- exchange traded funds. ETF. There you go. Yep. That's okay. that's the new version of mutual funds. Yeah. And and the the biggest difference with them is I'm thinking of NFT is what I'm thinking of, right? Okay. Do you know what an NFT is? No. We can talk about that. Continue, okay. continue your, t- your t- talk. The, the ETFs are um, can be traded any time during the daytime. A mutual fund is typically traded at the, the end, end of, of the, the daytime. Day and so, um, you know, if, if, if you know, for instance, a lot of times in the middle of the day, the, the funds will drop to their lowest, uh, or the market will drop to its lowest point of the day. So it's a high either at the very beginning of the day or the very end of the day. Right. And so uh, you can kind of play that to your benefit, whichever way you want to. But uh, I'm investing in some sector markets uh, now uh, instead of just uh, the general um, ones that follow the indexes. I mean, I still have a lot of money in um, in the uh, S&P 500 funds and um, index funds, total stock market funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're they're almost all index funds. That yeah. I I. I uh, they're too reliable as a general rule. It feels, it feels comfortable to have yeah, index funds. Exactly. And I can sleep at night. Right. Do you want to, do, so, you, do you have a good explanation for what an index fund is for people who are listening that might not know? Um, yeah. Well, basically many mutual funds were managed by people or group, a person or a group of people. And they, they charged a fairly large uh, fee. Management fees. Management fees mm-hmm. to manage those funds. And um, um, Company Vanguard was the one that invented index funds. And, really? Um, really? I didn't know that. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were. They were. Uh, That's where I learned most of most of the the information yeah. I have learned about investing was from their owner that, or their creator that passed away. Yeah, I yeah. watched a lot of his YouTube videos. Believe okay, it or not. that was uh, Jack yeah. Bogle. Yeah, and basically what he said is, uh, just follow the the um, the index, the yeah. the uh, the S and P 500, the Dow. He was saying um, that he, he one of the things he said, the creator of Vanguard, he said that less than one percent of funds. In a thirty-year period, beat an index fund. Yeah, exactly. So are you going to try and gamble and hope that what you're investing in that isn't an index fund is in that one less than one percent, or are you just going to go ahead and go, okay, you know, he believes investing is a long haul strategy. Yeah. Shouldn't invest anything if you're planning on on taking it out within five years. Yeah. Um, and he also says that uh, uh, index essentially what he describes an index fund as is it's something that just tracks a market. Yeah. So it's a, it follow it follows the market literally. Yeah. So an S and P five hundred is essentially it's supposed to be Standard and Poor's created it. Yeah. That's what S and P stands for. And then top five hundred companies in the country. Yep. That's what it's supposed to be. Yep. yep. The top five hundred biggest companies in like uh, in capital basically. Yeah. Cap or, you know revenue stream or whatever it is. Yep. And so the way he says it is it's like uh you know people talk about stocks they talk about risk mm-hmm. and he goes you know this is one of the most the, the it seems risky. Because it's a stock, and you go, you're not guaranteed returns. But he goes, uh, he goes. Uh, do you think the 500 biggest companies in the United States are all going to go under at one, at the same time? Yeah. And he goes, if they do, what would you imagine the current state of the United States would be if they all went under at the same time? Yes. Clearly, something is going very wrong, yep. and currency no longer matters at that point. Yep. You're worried about, do you have bullets? Do you have Ways to skills to survive, yes. not having businesses that make money. Exactly, and and that's you know, uh, the chances of that happen are slim to nil. But like you said, it, it's 
we're in a whole nother world if, if it starts coming apart at that level. That, that's why it feels so low risk yeah. to have something like yeah. that. Yeah. So the S&P 500, you know, they're going to have a ton of Apple stocks, Microsoft stocks, um, Amazon, Amazon stocks, Netflix, you know, all the big, yeah, companies, all the big right companies are, yeah. are they're going to have investments in. And, um, and so now I've got into some sector index funds, which, uh, would be like, um, Tech. there's energy. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. Energy tech, uh, healthcare, um, specific portions of those materials, of those, yeah. which gets into like building materials, Lumber. stuff like that. Uh, one that's really done me well here recently is consumer discretionary funds. And, and that's you as a consumer, you buy things when you have money um, to buy them. And, and this what an invest in is, is things that people buy that are just little things, you know, when they have extra money to do it. And, and that market's been doing really well lately. What is, that? is that like stationary, like paper and stuff like that? Or what is um, that? Yeah, well, you, I think you get into like, you know, some of your like deodorants and aftershaves, you know, and just get like grocery things. store products. Grocery store products. Stuff yeah. that you, you constantly use. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, real okay. estate is doing pretty good right now. I've got a, some real estate sector. Depending upon um, where you're at, if you're yeah. if you're in like California or New York right now, you're you're losing money on real estate, I would imagine. Yeah. And uh, if you're in Florida or Texas, you're making some money on some real estate. The real yeah. estate prices here. Well, and and yeah, with that said, even though like the real estate market is is so hot right now in Florida, it's not like this this um, uh, fund is going through the roof. But is it growing? Yeah, it's growing. So I've diversified my portfolio. A little bit and um, between uh, I'm managing some of the money um, the company that that I'm uh, working with that I have the funds through is managing part of it I'm paying them to manage some of it and then I have a credit union that I work with that's managing part of it and, and right now I'm, 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 I'm tracking it on a quarterly basis I want to see which one of the three of us actually does the best Who's the three? Oh, the three of the, the yeah okay the, the manager of okay. the the one you know you, fund you company the, yeah Yep, uh, the credit union, and then myself. Yep. And uh, I'm also, because part of this gets into how much they're charging me to overall, manage. Overall, how much profit are you making minus exactly. fees? Exactly. Gotcha. And so and the bottom line comes down to is how much money. Which one's going to provide the most value? Yep, 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 yep. 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 Now, so, um, where do you get? Where do you learn about all of this stuff at? Where have you been getting your information? Well, so, um, some of it is, you know, I've been following the index funds for for a number of years, probably twenty plus years. That that uh, just reading, you know, general things about investment and. Are you interested and, in as? It, it, are you interested in it as a subject? Oh uh, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sure am. Yeah, and uh, I, I am too. And I know a lot of people have probably tuned out this part of the podcast too because so many people aren't. But I'm incredibly interested. Yeah, and and uh, you know, and I find it stimulating to, to uh, you know, what I want don't want to do is run out of money, um, uh, you know, for my retirement. Nobody and I've I've got a nice little nest egg, but but I'm not rich either. You, you know, so I I need to manage that correctly. Do you want to explain what a nest egg is? Uh, well, all right. So when I retired, um, I received. I worked for the for the county. Received a state pension. Okay. Um, I will also, you know, in another year, be eligible to pull Social Security. So between the two of those, uh, that provides about seventy five percent of what my income was um, when I was working. But I also have been able to put back some money 
in various different ways. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a lump sum of money, and I, I will say it's you know it's into six well into six digits, and um, and what I'm trying to do is create an income off of that. Uh, this year, I'm, I'm because I'm not eligible for Social Security, I'm taking a little bit more money out than I would like to, but that's okay. And but then once if I do go ahead and at age 62 and take Social Security, then I'll be able to leave that money alone and watch it grow, and and then only start pulling monies out of it as it gets to certain levels that I want to. Right. And hopefully that'll pay for the trips <clears throat> that I want to take as I'm retired. Uh, you know, um, or, or other, what I'll call, um, benefits to being a retired person, right. Going out and eating or, or taking that trip to Europe or hauling the trailer to Alaska, buying brand new cars, buying brand new cars Mm -hmm. or brand new trucks, you know, things like that. And so, but what I want to make sure of is that that principle over time doesn't reduce. I want to, and, and I also am interested in leaving a nest egg for my children, as well, I don't think life is getting any easier for this generation. the The days of pensions, um, state pensions, and uh, private, even private company pensions, is really not where it was um, for me or my parents. Right. And so, um, you know, we're and we're trying to work on educating them, my children, on on uh, these investments and so forth as well. So. Um, so what I would describe a nest egg as is essentially right. as you work through your working age, you uh, you basically take you know a portion of your paychecks mm-hmm. and you stock it away. Essentially, what that would look like today would be a four hundred one k. Yep. And so you take you know ten percent of every paycheck mm-hmm. over your course of thirty to let's call it thirty to forty five years mm-hmm. of working, and you stock that away in an investment that makes money off of your money. Over time, you get compounding interest, and your nest egg, let's say it becomes a million dollars. What The reason you call it a nest egg is because it's not like you retire, they give you a million dollars, and then you spend a portion of that money until it runs out till you die. No. The idea is that way a nest egg is that million dollars now on its own in an investment makes, let's call it 7%. Mm-hmm. So you know if you have a million dollars, and just for easy math, if you get 7%, off of that a million dollars, that's seventy thousand dollars per and year, you, and, and that's per year. Yep. So if you worked a job making seventy thousand dollars a year, you have now supplemented your income, and without touching that one million dollars, that's correct. So you could it, ideally continue to make. You know, this is very basic, and it's obviously a lot more um, mechanical than this. Mm-hmm. But you would make seventy thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. for the rest of your life without ever touching that nest egg of a million dollars, and then when you die you you would leave that a million dollars to do with whatever you would like to do you ideally you should have a will and then that million dollars you know if you have kids get split between the kids or if one of your kids does crack you can send it to the one who doesn't do crack if you if that's what your values are and, absolutely or you can or donate put, it all to charity or put it in a trust for them so that they generate an income without but not letting them touch the the nest right. egg ever right the nest know? egg is is what you want to build throughout your your years yep yeah right. yeah so um, anyhow, so, so yeah, I find a lot of, and, uh, luckily, uh, a lady that used to work for me, uh, the one I was telling you about her husband couldn't retire. Uh, he's in the financial Not, market he, he and could has retire. Been, he just didn't want to. Yeah. 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 Physically and, he didn't want to. Yeah. <coughs> That's correct. And, um, and, and he's worked in the financial market now for about 40 years and he gave me some advice on, on some of these sector funds to invest in and diversifying and, and, and actually convinced me. 
um, to, to move my money into one of these companies where I was pay, paying lower management fees. Um, that's the beautiful part about index funds that we didn't, I don't think we, we talked about. Well, is that they're, they're a non-managed fund. Yeah, that's correct. They're, they're, well, so they don't charge management fees. And because- so you've got, you've got the funds f- management fee, and then there's also the organization that you're getting the fund from maybe charging you on top, to of ma- on top of that as well. And a lot of times those fees are bigger or higher than what the management fee of the fund is. Because essentially so, w- with a managed fund, like a mutual fund or a ETF, is that you're paying somebody who went to college and and they basically decide what stocks are a part of that mutual fund mm-hmm. at that moment or, or of that EFT or ET, ETF. Sorry, I keep thinking of NFT. It's something that's <laughs> new that's being talked about. And, um, and so they, they basically, they get a fee because their job what they went to school for or what they're good at is managing funds and deciding what's going to do good and what's going to do bad. And that's why they're supposed to get better returns than yeah. index funds and stuff. But then you, you know, there's a, a difference between after you take out the, the yeah. fees. Well, that's it. And that's, and, and so what, what I'm trying to watch is the bottom line. I started with this much money in this account each quarter. I look and see how much money do I have in there and, and then look at what percentage growth or loss I will say uh, second quarter or third quarter this year, I took a loss, and yeah. um, you know, um, investing is like know, a roller coaster. But which one, which one was less of a loss than the other ones were, mm. and uh, and so I find that very mentally stimulating. I I love spreadsheets, and and I've got data in spreadsheets that that I'm tracking right now, kind of a high level. I'm not really digging into a lot of the details of it. It's it's kind of like the bottom line, you yeah. know, yeah. and um, and and what's it costing? Yeah, you know, yeah. What, one of my um, the, the, what I said earlier is that the investing is like a roller coaster. Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be ups and downs, but the only people that get hurt are the ones that jump off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So good point. Um, yeah. So I, I I love this kind of conversation. I I, I don't know why I just get super uh, excited about like when you look at a, a graph and mm-hmm. you look at what compounding interest does mm-hmm. with time. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's two factors is consistency and time. Yep. And, you know, um, like if you tell some kid that if you put in $10,000 at age 18 and pull it out when you're 65 mm-hmm. and and you never add any more money to it, and you tell them how much money it was for that $10,000 investment, you're like, whoa. And you're like, yeah. that rate of return is very, very good. <laughs> yeah, it, it does look very good. And you're going to yeah. have good years. You're going to have bad years. And I mean, we've had years of 50% growth in re- recent times. Right. And It's uh, all about averages, though. Yeah. All about yep. Some it's years all about averages. 50%. Yep. Some year, with the negative. way I'm invested right now um, with the company, particularly with what the part they're managing uh, at my age, uh, we've got basically 60% in the market and 40% in bonds. Um, now I will say I have put a big chunk of money into cash, uh, through one of the fund managers, and, but I'm, I'm getting over 2% return on that, which and, is, which is, which is real, not right, very good. It's not very good, but right now it's, that is very good right. for a cash account, it, a, fi- a fixed guaranteed rate. Right. Because right now uh, during, you know, as we're recording this, you know, the economy as isn't doing, it's not one of its best years. No. And no. so because it's not one of its best years, it's uh, this is something I learned from from somebody uh, who who's big in investing um, and talks a lot about it. Is that um, 
during years when investments are going down, if you can have something that guarantees even a low interest rate, mm -hmm. it's better to have 2% interest that's guaranteed mm -hmm. than to get a non-guaranteed interest rate of negative 10%. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that's just, that's a clear thing. It's like, yes, it sucks that you're in bonds right now, but you can, you know, once the, once the market starts to get better, you can, you can readjust. Exactly. Um, the, the, my question is, is when, when the stocks are going down, do you tend to look at it as like it's going on sale? Uh, there are times, you know, um, you know, that's an interesting that, yeah, yes. When the market drops down, you're looking at a time that's, that's very good to buy if you want to, but most people panic. Um, they do the opposite. They sell when it's low yeah. and they buy when it's high. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I will say at the beginning of the pandemic back in 2000, it was a March of 2000, 2000, uh, what, what pandemic? The COVID-19. You're talking about 2020. I'm sorry, 2020. It was I'm like sorry. 2000. I'm sorry. Like, what pandemic happened thank then? Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, actually, there was one in 2000. I know. Yeah. That's why I, I, yeah. I knew that there was like, there was another the SARS-CoV-1 or yeah, whatever. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. So during the 2020 pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic started, uh, realizing that this was going to be a pretty major event, um, I did move um, some money out of the market about the third day because it was dropping uh, three days in a row, and I was really concerned. And so I did move a a significant chunk of money out of the market. And, and, and I don't into blame you. At that time, cash. No one knew what was going to happen. We, no. we thought a third of the population was going to die. Yeah, exactly. You know, we had no idea. Exactly. And so, um, but also with, with that given, you know, my pension is pretty much guaranteed, and and so I knew I had that to write on as well. Right. You know, a lot a lot of this and and how you live your life with your finances is is What's it going to do to your health when when you're forced to live off of whatever that is, mm -hmm. you know? And people that are totally uh, get get into investments at a late age, you know, or, or, or planning for their retirement at a late age, um, they have to be take higher risk type um, uh, options, and 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 sometimes that can be stressful and can cause. Um, you know, cause your health to go down. And, you know, there, there's a, a friend of mine that passed away here about two years ago that I truly believe that was part of the problem is he had all of his money tied up into investments without really any guaranteed money. And he lived a really stressful life in doing that. And really, I don't know that he knew really what he was doing. And, um, and, and I want to be able to sleep at night. That's the bottom line. And, and trust me, since I retired, that is one thing. I'm I'm doing a be much better job of sleeping at night. Yeah. Without the stress of the work that you know that we're yeah. doing. Yeah. And so, um, but I don't want to worry about money either. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's very cool. Now I, I'm hoping that uh, I can convince you because we've talked about it um, off of the podcast before about you starting a YouTube channel. That'd be a fun thing of like one of the the joys I get of doing the podcast. And some days it's not joys. I know Colton wanted me to say that. But um, uh, is learning about how doing all of this, about uh, we researching, and I'm doing this while working a full time job and having other hobbies. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's one of those things that keep me busy. And I can only imagine, like, you know, with time and money on your hand, it, it could be very, uh, it could be a very fun thing to learn. So like, uh, adding video to the podcast has been, 
I mean, what are we going on like three weeks now, four weeks now of learning that process and Mm -hmm. just Googling the heck out of everything, trying to figure out what we're going to do for different things and what camera to get or how to use this. You know, we've learned a lot about recording video on on iPhones and how that's not optimal for, for at least for our scenario and stuff like that. just the amount of knowledge I've gained of what just problem solving. It, I'm creating a, a playground of where I have to problem solve, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, it's so much so much fun. Some days, well, and looking back on it, so much fun. In the moment, sometimes it was really frustrating. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Well, and if you can imagine, at the time I was your age, was really when the first personal computers were coming out, and um, and there was a good friend of mine and I who were very interested in that market technology and so forth and and we've spent uh many many evenings after our regular job trying to figure out how to do consulting work and how to make money off of it and and where do you go with it and and this went on for you know well over 15 years um that that we looked down that road and you know when when you're younger you're going to have a ton of energy and a 40-hour work week, you know, you still have a lot of time around that um, to build it. I, I still have the interest, you know, the what I realize is how much effort it does take to build a business, build a model. And that's where, you know, the discussions you and I have had about uh, uh, setting up a YouTube channel uh, with a particular topic. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I have this, the youthful enthusiasm that somebody like you would have. What do you think, Colton? You think he's got youthful enthusiasm? I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think you, so it's just like anything else. Like it's just a learning process as you go, you know? Absolutely. We started, we started on a dining room table recording yep. it on Mac computer. It was just, you know, that's why the first quote of on the board of quotes that, that I'm doing is was the, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. That's so that's, that, that's my goal is just constant improvement. And I, I, I have to remind myself of it all the time because I just, it's very easy to get discouraged by not being where I want to be. Yes. It is very easy. But but instead, I've tried to flip it on its head and get motivated yes. by where I can be because that's the beautiful part about this country is that everyone has the for the for the you know just generically speaking everyone has the same opportunities that is correct yeah 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 and so um and in you could start a business at your age to me part of the american dream is working for yourself yep. potentially at one point in your life and, and doing something you love and getting paid to do it yeah. is mind-boggling that people can do that well in in part but part you know and i totally agree with you and i do have a lot of enthusiasm that uh, i still think of many avenues that I wouldn't mind going down uh, and, and working and so forth. But I, but I also don't want it to absorb me, which is what can happen yes. with, with a business. And well, that can happen with anything in life. Oh, yes, absolutely. Anything can absorb you. And absolutely. I, I think that's a personality thing, not as so much as a subject thing. Yes. And I think that my personality, um, I don't get too absorbed with things. I, I have priorities, and you have mm-hmm. to know what your priorities oh, are. Oh, Absolutely. Yes. You know, this this podcast doesn't come before my family needing something from me. Absolutely. You know what Absolutely. I mean? It's just never going to be someone calls me needing help and I go, I can't because of, yeah. you know, something like that, you know, yeah. if they're falling under that priority. So, um, yeah. So, so I've got this idea. I mean, I, I don't know that I fully understand the social media world fully, but, but I do know that um, the job market as, as it w- existed while I was working is different now yep. than what it was back then. And social media p- 
plays a huge part of it. Uh, when I was running the Nature Center uh, here just a, a couple of years ago, um, you know, we were looking at um, uh, digital media as a way of fundraising, in essence. Mm-hmm. And I know I talked with one big organization, and and literally their top three ways of fundraising were through uh, Facebook Live and YouTube and uh, Amazon Smile. And so... And I heard that before. Oh, that's that's uh, when Amazon will tie... Um, tie uh, nonprofits to to the organization and when you log on to Amazon like if you want to go buy something and suppose you want to support uh, um, I'm just going to give you Jared in a generic name the the funny zoo okay mm-hmm. you want to support the funny zoo a nonprofit zoo organization everybody loves animals and and They're you delicious. can you can log on to instead of amazon.com you log on to amazon.com I think it is slash smile and 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 you set up within that what organization, what 403B you want to uh, support that's tied into them, and then a percentage of what you purchase goes to that organization. Oh, that's and cool. So yeah, yeah. So it can be very very profitable. Gosh, it's hard, um, it's hard to love Amazon with a lot of what they're doing though on other things. But, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. God, but it's so, so easy to buy things. So, in, in, you know, in, in, in the focused marketing, you know, that, um, you know, if you're an organization that deals, let's talk about, you know, an organization that deals with, with animals and so forth. Well, you would market um, your, 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 your request, your programs and whatnot to those out in the social media world that like animals, you know. Well, a, and, a lot and, of marketing these days is depending upon, like, I mean, you've heard of target marketing before. Mm-hmm. That is a very easy, understandable phrase. Yep. Um, and it depends on what you're selling, and you have to know your target audience. Mm-hmm. So podcasts. I'm not trying to get all the old people in the United States to listen to my podcast. And they probably because, won't. <laughs> because, because Exactly. I mean, they're, they're still on AM radio. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If that, you know. And so they, they get a lot of their stuff from TV because TV was something that they learned before they stopped learning it at, at an exponential rate. Um, and so like you, you start to learn like so many people under, like I would say probably under 40 or 50 are going to everything digital. So you start to realize if, you know, um, if you're trying to market a podcast, the majority of the people that listen to podcasts are younger people, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So you're not going to spend a whole bunch of money on AM radio advertisements mm-hmm. to get more young people to listen to your podcast because they're not listening. No. But if you're marketing a product that is meant for, you know, people my age, the best way to do it, it would be through a podcast. Like if, that, if, if you know, my favorite podcaster um, reads, a, reads an advertisement for a product, mm-hmm. you know, there's a likelihood that it's going to interest me. Mm-hmm. And then that's all they're trying to do is get into the right into the right people. And so much more marketing these days is digital because the cost of digital marketing, um, there's no, there's nothing printed. You have yes. to create the content, but but with a printed thing, you have to create the content, then print it, then Send ship it, it yep. and then people have to get it, and it can't you know it gets destroyed along the way. In digital, it's like create it, and then you pay advertisers. Yep, you know it, it take it makes it cheaper it works better for for the consumer it works because you don't have to, you don't get a bunch of mail anymore yeah you know and then you don't get um you don't just get a bunch of stuff you have to throw away and check your mailbox all the time and yep. you know well and if people are listening to whatever i mean all you got to do is have that right keyword in there and all of a sudden boom boom 
they're paying attention to it, mm-hmm. whether they were paying attention or not beforehand. You know, uh, you know, sa- let's say save the the killer whales or whatever. You know, right. boom! All of a sudden, you got people paying attention to what well, you're. Well, aiming you know at. that the best recommendation is word of mouth. Like if someone, mm-hmm. if I tell you about a product. It's going to mean so much more me telling you about it than if you saw a, an advertisement on Instagram. If I Absolutely. go, hey, hey, Uncle Keith, I've got this little fidget thing <coughs> that I got on Amazon. This thing's awesome. You can hold it, play with it, all those things. You know, it's super, super great. That's going to be, if you saw something like that on your Facebook, you would just keep scrolling. You mm-hmm. wouldn't even stop for it. But no. because I've talked to you about it. Now, imagine that on another scale. People, people find the podcast they like to listen to mm-hmm. and they... They, they trust that person. They go back to that same podcast, you know, yep. whether it's, you know, me or another podcast or whatever they go, you know, I, I like listening to Ryan and I'm just going to use me for the example because that's what we're talking about. And so imagine they're like, I, they trust me in everything I do. So if I go, hey, here's this company, I like their product. And that's another thing as, as somebody who might have advertisers one day is I don't plan on getting an advertiser where I don't really believe in the product myself because mm-hmm. I'm not going to be disingenuous like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if it's not something that I would actually use myself, why would I advertise it to my group of people that I lose credibility there? Mm-hmm. So I think as as a listener of a podcast, if if you hear the person you trust, mm-hmm. they you don't even they don't even know you, but you know them because you listen to their podcast, mm-hmm. and they go, hey, here's this product I use. It's awesome. It does this, 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 and this. And if you use my discount code with my mm-hmm. name in it or whatever, then you get a, a discount on it. You're like, shoot, it's on sale. Yeah. And he says it's good. You know, that's that's a much better advertisement than just a TV commercial running between yeah. between breaks. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the reasons I was interested in this YouTube channel was I when I went searching for information on this particular topic and I found so very little of it out there, um, information on this specific topic that, um, you know, I... And, and what was out there was so poorly done um, with, with very few details or, or supporting data for the product. And, and I do believe there's still a lot of people that want all that detailed information. They, they want to hear a, um, a logical reason you went with this product and why you're supporting this product. And even if I'm not in the sales market necessarily, you know, uh, uh, could you get enough followers on that product that, that eventually you're able to, to build a sponsorship, um, revenue stream. That would be cool. Right. Wouldn't it? it? And then, you know, on YouTube you get, you get, you know, advertisement and stuff like that. If you reach a certain number of subscribers and viewers and stuff, you know, there's, there's a, there's a large possibility. There's a lot, there's a reason that Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, there's a reason that those companies are like the top 15 companies in the, in the United States is because, advertisements are that that's it's not like that's ever going to change advertising is just going to change forms yeah yeah exactly you know it's so funny if if we go back 20 years now go back to uh the late 90s early 2000s when the internet was just really starting to take off and people were investing in internet companies left and right but nobody knew how they were going to make money is really what it came down to. And then uh, for it to eventually evolve into social media, in most cases, is how they make money and and learning how to collect information, which uh, I guess there are some new laws about that on people, collecting information and then, and then subject. targeting um, 
targeting audiences. And like you said, the, the cost is so low to target them in most cases. In comparison to what it previously was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most people were buying at that time, you know, before the internet, it was billboards, it was yep. mailers, it yep. was printed signs. Yep. And and there was a whole market based around those things, just, just even printing things. Exactly. And then you have paper and then you have materials and companies making different things. I mean, but like a billboard, if you put a billboard on the interstate, I mean, you're just hoping that your target audience drives by and sees it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And really, if you look at the numbers, even on the busiest of interstates, if you look at the number of people that pass a sign in one day compared to what you could be passing it by in social media. Um, Take it, the cost of printing it yeah. and then put that into the Internet. And, and you're, you're in a much more targeted audience that the return on the investment for businesses is much higher through digital marketing exactly than it was exactly back in the day. Yeah. You know? And that was one of the things, you know, that I started investigating when I was running the environmental school, you know, and, and, um, uh, you know, it enlightened me. What can yeah. I say? Yeah. And, and when things are working, I mean, I'm, I'm intelligent enough to look and go, all right, what's the outcome of this? You know, is are these companies doing well? Are they not doing well? Yeah. And in most cases, they were being su- successful. So. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest problem is that those these internet companies grew at a rate much faster than people anticipated for mm-hmm. good reason. You know, mm-hmm. that, that what they're doing is very um, beneficial for the user and for the uh, consumer. Uh, for for the person who's you, you paying for the ads and then the people who are consuming the ads. You know, I've found things because of the internet that I don't think I would have ever found had it not been or it would have been much more difficult to find. It makes it easier for me to find things that I want to purchase. Yeah. Right. Um, but the problem with that, though, is that these companies grew at such a fast rate and the people that are in politics, mm-hmm. the average age of people who are voting on these laws or, or voting on anything to do with these giant tech companies have no idea what it even is. Mm-hmm. These are people that don't they, they don't even use the internet, yeah. and they're voting on whether you know. In my opinion, I don't think Facebook should have ever been allowed to buy Instagram. Google should have never been allowed to buy YouTube because mm-hmm. you know in this country we have antitrust laws, mm-hmm. you know, to prevent companies from becoming too big to where they there can be no competition. Mm-hmm. Now tell me, is there any competition with Google and YouTube? No. They were each other's competition yeah. until they bought each other. Is there any competition between Facebook and Instagram? Yeah. No, they only they're one company now. Yeah, yeah. They're Meta. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But but you know their biggest you know competitors what Twitter and now TikTok. Mm-hmm. But yes. like you know, I just think that the the people that were voting on that really. I mean, when, like when you watched uh, you know Mark Zuckerberg is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, when you watched him get was it was he was in front of Congress or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's getting interviewed by older people and they're asking him questions that like even just me as a not a person that works in tech or anything like that or just yeah. knows very limited stuff about it yeah. like it, it 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 really made us everybody realize how little these politicians knew about what was going on because Mark yeah. Zuckerberg is getting asked questions that made essentially no sense yeah well and and unfortunately uh, these people in technology, because I've, I've been a piece of this, you know, there's so much thinking that goes into the process of what they're doing. And, and that, that, and, and even if it's not perfect in the initial phases of it, but there's way more thinking than I think the people in Washington can ever hope 
to be able to ask the right questions, uh, you know, and, and moving forward. I just think and, that there, at a certain point in life, like when I t- mentioned it earlier, I think that there, at a certain point in life, your your rate of learning and being open-minded to new things mm-hmm. starts to drop because you've been mm-hmm. around, you've experienced a lot of things, you get set in your ways. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is terrible. I think just like there's minimum ages that you have to be to be the president of the United States, I mm-hmm. think there should be maximum ages for, <laughs> for just politicians in general mm-hmm. because, um, unfortunately, you're getting a lot of politicians who can't learn at the rate that they need to to do the job that they're doing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why, why should somebody be in their 70s or 80s well, and get but, to run, make huge decisions for a company when they're towards the end of their life. But look at the process of even get elected and how old the process is and all the questions that are coming up. So the process lends itself to electing those people. um, How come the president makes $400,000 a year? Yeah. There's no incentive to be a president. No, absolutely why, not. Why would Because a lot of people are getting really PO'd and they're like, you know, why was Biden and Trump our two best options in the last election? Yeah. Why were those the guys that we had to choose between, basically? And it's like, it's because you have smarter people that are out there, but anybody who's smarter doesn't want to be president. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. Well, and, and, and really, I mean, it comes down to, I mean, even Trump, he never kept his his paycheck from from the government for the being president he donated it every time to some organization mm-hmm. and um and and it really uh, it takes somebody that wants to do it for the purpose of of supporting the country and making the country better uh, and, and anybody that's doing it because of the money I don't think there is anyone doing it because of the money. I think I, th- I think there extent. are people that have gotten so comfortable in the job, and you know, I guess if you look at it as a government job, or an, and let me look at a U.S. senator or whatnot, and you look at the binges that come with it, the benefits that come with it, it's not bad. And and most of them can see the writing on the wall that they can make more money once they become that popular. They can make more money after the fact. After the fact, you yeah. know, and yeah, but there's a lot of. You can, as a as somebody that would be intelligent enough to be in the United States president spot, mm-hmm. you would think that that person could create their own business and make more money by doing that. No, and you some know. people's children sell paintings that are worth yeah, yeah. astronomical yeah. amounts of money well, too. You so, know, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think that there's two kinds of people that want to be president: people who genuinely want to do better for the country and mm-hmm. will will sacrifice their lives to do so, mm-hmm. or there's people who just want absolute control mm-hmm. and th- to be in and to be a, in control of all that stuff and and, and they just want to have power mm-hmm. and unfortunately it is so hard to tell the difference between the two mm-hmm. because they're actors yes. that become our presidents yeah. you know they're all very good at selling themselves mm-hmm. and and um you and, lose the authenticity yeah 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 and, and they learn to say what is going to make them successful and it makes them look good in many cases, and they're all about optics, you know, all about how they look. Yeah, it, and it's all—it's not necessarily about what they're able to accomplish or have accomplished. It's more about the linguistics, and and the marketing of yourself. Yeah, and some people are very good at that. Unfortunately, I think that there there needs to be some kind of thing that incentivizes people to be president that would pull out the best of the country, not the worst. Yeah, it needs to have the best benefits. Yeah, it I mean. Why would uh, somebody who's smart enough to make Amazon like Jeff Bezos decide to be president if he's worth $300 billion or whatever? 
You know what I mean? Like, or why would Elon Musk decide to do it? Well, You're going to have half the country hate you from the jump. I, and I don't know that they can, that money or benefits is ever going to incentivize that job. Um, I, I think I think it is just something that people are going to have to determine they want to do. Plain and simple. I don't think you can you can put a price tag on it that would benefit. I mean, who who do you want? I mean, who is the best person? Is somebody that's already you know made billions of dollars potentially? And there's and there's you know is that you know let's let's take a Bill Gates of the world you know who's got to be one of the smartest people in the world and is that the right person to run the country? Or is it going to take somebody that's that's been in the trenches with a blue collar man? Well, you you understand, uh, having worked for as long as you have, that some of the smartest people that you've ever worked with are probably some of the dumbest people because what they do, as as from what I've learned about good leaders, is um, great leaders they they surround themselves with people that have good information mm-hmm. and then they make decisions mm-hmm. based upon information they're all a good leader is or not a good leader per se but a, a, what would a good president would be is somebody who surrounds themselves with with can, that can make they can make decisions mm-hmm. based upon information and they have to be open minded and they have to listen to both sides and then they have to you Absolutely. know be, they basically have to be a good mediator yeah and i think the word leader that you you know you started with there i think i think you say it right there it, you know uh, there's nothing wrong with tying that word leader to uh, surrounding yourself because i think that's what it takes um for for to be a good leader of anything is to have people around you that support you and and that are watching out for you and providing you the best of information and um, you have to have good teachers around you so you can make the best decisions yes yes absolutely because yep. i mean you don't expect the president of the united states and clearly they're not this way is to, to understand everything and be incredibly intelligent you want them to just make incredibly good decisions yeah yeah and and sometimes Sometimes the scientific answer is the best answer. Yep. Sometimes it's not the best. So, right. so what I'm getting at is even if you are smart, even if, if academically you're extremely talented and you may know the science of the subject, sometimes you've got to take into account the, the, what I'm going to call the soft skills, the people side Communication. of Communication. Yeah, the people side of things and what's the impact of that decision going to do. Yep. So... It's 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 tough. It's tough balancing, and that's yep. what politicians get good at is balancing the the sides good of the at, story. Quote, but, well, yeah. the yeah, but the unfortunate part is whether they are able to actually accomplish anything in that job, and that's where so many of them fail. And because of the way our government is is set up, so that things don't change fast, they change slow over time because you've got to build. Um, 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 agreement amongst different kinds of people and that's that's what moves this continually moves the direction of the country hopefully forward and hopefully in a right direction and you don't make any you know real drastic changes along the way or change mm-hmm. you know decisions yeah yeah i i hope that uh i hope that in the future they can they can we can have presidents that are you know that that want the best for the country. You know, some of the the, the the problem with the last couple of elections is some of the people that have ran for president mm-hmm. and to me 
fit those categories mm-hmm. didn't even make it to the to the final round mm-hmm. you know of, of being selected to be what is it, the democratic uh, yeah, candidate candidate and the yeah, republican candidate yeah. you know yeah. and um and it and it's and it's sad but i think nowadays you're seeing people um at least my age and and you know younger people they get much more out of people being completely authentic and and mm-hmm. you know realizing that everyone's human mm-hmm. and that if you have a president like John F Kennedy mm-hmm. you know John F Kennedy was was incredibly like powerful in his speeches mm-hmm. and he put on this big persona mm-hmm. of and, and he you know he seems like a strong leader when he was a president mm-hmm. but you know they didn't talk about how he was doing drugs they didn't talk about how he had multiple affairs mm-hmm. like that was a regular thing for him to do mm-hmm. and they were able to shield much more of the things that were happening when he was as a president mm-hmm. and instead people are leaning more towards people just being open and honest yeah. like that's why um i i believe that is a huge proponent of why joe rogan's podcast has become as giant as as it has is because he is willing to have discussions with people he doesn't agree with Mm -hmm. and to find out you know he he is a big proponent of free speech Mm -hmm. and uh you know the the idea that you know the only way to to understand what's right and what's wrong is to be able to talk about both and Mm -hmm. to being able to decide um and uh, and i think his level of authenticity of him not being able to talk about who he is mm-hmm. is what makes it so big. I mean, there's so many people that think he's going to be the president one day, mm-hmm. and you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But you know, he swears all the time. He's a stand-up comedian. He, yeah. you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that he is that, you know, people of your age or older wouldn't necessarily they'd be like, oh my god, I never would have guessed somebody who smokes pot and yeah. and drinks all the time is going to be president. It's like okay, all the other presidents did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just I they think, just were able to better at hiding it. I think in recent years our politics in this country has gone from less middle of the road and more extreme. An extreme based on either conservative or progressive agendas. And I think we're coming back to the middle again. I think that I think that I agree with you on that. I'm sorry to interject, but I mm-hmm. think the reason is is because those those far right far left people are the reason that those people are getting so much attention is because they're the smallest of, they're the minorities mm-hmm. and that the majority of the country is in the center yeah i would say yes. and they're just they don't talk about it yeah and yeah. and you get the the squeaky wheel gets the grease yeah and the grease exactly. being the at being you know and most of the country at this point is sick of it yeah is yeah. sick of seeing the far right and the far left on the news all the time yeah well and and even when we go back um what, 20, 25 years ago when there became more accountability in the schools with state testing and so forth. That was a push to more of an extreme um, um, outcome, accountability, yes, uh, than than what had been there previously. Everything had been, uh, before that, more middle of the road, and let's not rock the ship, and let's not push these issues. Let's You need to be patient, wait for things to happen, and so forth. Well, people kind of got tired of that and wanted things to happen and happen faster. And that's when your your state accountability test came into play, accountability of schools, what grade is the school, blah, blah, blah. And then we start running into it, you know, at, at even a higher level in, in the presidency and, and uh, getting into more extreme ideas. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the, the near future brings you know yeah. what, what direction it you know the pendulum tends to swing over time and we're already hearing talk here in the state of florida of of getting rid of the state um test 
for education and go into a progress monitoring model, which basically means we're just going to watch a kid with a bunch of little tests. Now, whether that means school grades will disappear, I, w- I wouldn't oh doubt over gosh. time. I wouldn't doubt over time that it does. Um, and so, well, isn't just isn't that just a metric to measure by? Isn't that essentially what grades are used as? Is it's a way to it's a way to track progress over time? Well, but it's also being used as a way to help exit poor teachers as well, which which has its benefit. But um, are you saying it's more just the the grading system is just going to be changing forms? Um, I'm I'm not so sure that it won't disappear. I don't know. I mean, but it'll become something different. It becomes what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, there's a very a good chance it'll become something different. It won't be A's, B's, C's. It'll be here's this graph of this student's progress over time on, yeah. you know, how well they're doing in comparison to other yeah. children, which is essentially what grades were used for yeah. before, you know, exactly. the internet. So, yeah, so I have no idea what it's going to look like down the road. I, I can't yeah. imagine something like that would go away because it's how we, you know, people are measured yeah. and anything that can be measured can be improved. Yeah. So, well, but we realize before that was started in the 90s, there was never a school grade out there. It was just this this kid's dumb or this kid's smart. Well, and I mean, you, they tested kids on a regular basis to kind of see where they fell, but but there wasn't an accountability to necessarily improve that child. Okay, and uh, you know, we we assumed that teachers were well educated and knew the best thing to do, especially with this with the uh, supervision and support of a principal and an assistant principal, and knew what to do best for children. But there was no real accountability. Well, when they started adding accountability, it's also started adding pressure to the position of a teacher and to the position of a student as well. Uh, I've seen way too many children in elementary schools. So we're, we're talking kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old, 11 years old, that get very, very upset during the testing, the high-stakes testing, and, and could literally make themselves sick and throw up. Yeah. Or, or, or other ways of, of you know, and, and so so the stakes are there, and, and, and you can see it with the teachers, you can see it with the children, you can see it in the principals and the district, and, and everything, everything that's been done in the last 25 years has been based around performance of, of the schools, the children, the teachers. And so now the question is, are we, what's that going to look like 5, 10 years from now? Uh, it leads me to something I told you I wanted to talk about uh, before the podcast. Um, so I think a lot about as a country, you know, we just finished talking about politics and now we're switching towards school. Um, and you're like my resident expert on school stuff. Um, since you were you were in education system for how long? Almost 40 years. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A lot of time. And um, so my thought is, is if you're all good, Colton. Okay. Um, my thought is, is if you want the country to be a better place, mm-hmm. you look at like as majority in general, in generalizations, you would want better adults because adults are what you know, essentially is, runs the country and, <coughs> and, and mm-hmm. um, drives the driving factors of the country. So to have better adults, what do you have to do? Well, you have to train them to be adults. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the name of the podcast is somehow we're adults because, you know, you just graduate high school one day and you're like, oh shit, what now? Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, where is everybody else going? Okay, everyone else is going to college. Let me go to college. Well, what do you want to go for? I don't know. What do I want to do for the rest of my life? I don't know. I just, I don't have any hobbies. I was, you know, doing sports at school and I was in band or I was doing mm-hmm. stuff that 
essentially has almost no transferable knowledge to the the majority of what the working class do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think college is not what it used to be, and I think you'd probably agree to that. Mm-hmm. College used to be... It, the problem with college is it became a really big business. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they're, they're just looking to make money, and so they've created all these degrees that don't make money for individuals but make money for the college sure and there, so there's th- many degrees that are tied to television shows these days um uh, csi crime scene investigators um that's some of the hottest college degrees out there even if there hottest aren't that many as, jobs yeah there's not enough jobs for the market you've that's talked correct. about that on the previous podcast yeah, yeah. and um and so my thought it is is if, if you look at what the general people do, if you look at like what the biggest percentages of the countries are going to be doing, those are jobs that you get no essential training for, or there's no life skills. There's no skills that you learn in school directly as like a direction of being taught them. You know, one thing that pisses me off is there used to be home ec classes when you grew mm-hmm. up. There, that's not a requirement anymore. Mm-hmm. But the required classes are stuff that you might never use again. Mm-hmm. And, and in most cases, it, I would say probably 90% of the population does not use again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it really bothers me that everyone has to eat. Would mm-hmm. you agree? I think most people would agree everyone has to eat, mm-hmm. but no one is taught how to cook. How many people die of food poisoning because they didn't learn of the of proper handling of food? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think a huge part of the, uh, the problem with, um, not a problem, but like the, a large reason for the majority of the population being poor is because of um lack of knowledge of how to not be poor Mm -hmm. you know what what skills can we teach a kid you know a a lot of the problems with kids that end up in these in gangs and end up in in inner cities and bad parts is they don't have any their their male role models are all doing that same thing as well Uh, a lot of uh, a huge problem with the country is single uh, single parent households Mm -hmm. well um, essentially, how do you, when, when, you know, say one mom has to raise four kids mm-hmm. and they want to not live in, in a, in a shitty neighborhood, mm-hmm. well, they have to work several jobs to do so. So they're not there to raise those kids mm-hmm. as much as they'd like to be, or their other option is work less jobs, but live in the middle of, uh, you know, this bad area. And then those kids become a product of their environment mm-hmm. and you can't blame those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the school systems in those areas should be better, um, channeled to help those children to learn things that that lead them down a path to put them on towards success i don't think trying to make a bunch of inner city kids that you know they don't know where their meal that night's going to be coming from Mm -hmm. try to learn the pythagorean theorem Mm -hmm. i think that you're throwing shit at a wall hoping it sticks Mm -hmm. and it it just is not going to in that in those cases or or if it does it's a, a diamond in the rough and you know it's just i think that schools I think that you, everyone should not be illiterate. People should learn to read and write, mm-hmm. and everyone should learn uh, up to a certain level of of what is taught in school. But I think starting in middle school, starting and ending around middle school or, or beginning of high school, I think that a lot of those skills should shift. I think mandatory classes in um, in elementary school, in my personal opinion, should be something to do with communication. Mm-hmm. Because those are formative years of your life. Mm-hmm. You should learn, you know, to, to, to read, to write, to, to you know, add, to mm-hmm. do basic math and stuff like that. 
but and you know basic science and stuff like that. But a lot of it should be you know that's the best times to learn multiple languages. Maybe instead of I I heard the other day that foreign languages in high school isn't mandatory anymore, but it is in college. Mm-hmm. Like that's the heart. Like the older you get, there, there's a lot of data proving this. The harder it is to learn a new language. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we start kids and say it's mandatory? in elementary school to take a foreign language class. You pick the foreign language, but we're going to teach you to communicate multiple ways because then you can learn about other cultures because you can communicate to other cultures within other cultures. And um, I think that communication would be a huge one just separate of that. Learning to to talk with other people and, you know, not having your way the whole time because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're raised as an only child, Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're at home, you're probably not communicating with other kids your age and Mm -hmm. learning to share and all that stuff. And that transfers when you go to school too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that this is gonna this is gonna be where it splits the room right now. I think that gun safety should be mandatory <laughs> in elementary school. But but my thought, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, being you know a pro Second Amendment person, is if it was the, if it was a big enough deal for our founding fathers mm-hmm. to say that that in the second the first thing they said freedom of speech right yeah and the second thing was everyone should have the right to bear arms yeah and. I don't think that everyone should have to bear arms. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to bear arms, mm-hmm. but the people who are the most gun adverse in life are typically the people who have the least amount of experience. Think about anything you've never done before, how scary it is the first time you do it. Absolutely. And I think it's the same way with firearms. Yeah. The people who are the most scared of them are the ones who have never dealt with them or touched with them or and I, you know, you can teach kids gun safety in, in school. And I feel like that would make a huge difference on how much gun violence really happens in the United States, especially if you're doing a better job of, yeah. of making sure. I mean, granted, that the hard part is, is it, it puts more – the teachers will cause more impact. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't think that the teachers don't have impact now. I think it just – it restructures and channels that impact in a way – that is beneficial to society. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of potential in the school system that is being lost mm-hmm. because of the curriculum that they're being taught. Yeah. Well, and, and well, there's a lot tied up in what you just went through. And um, it's an incomplete thought that I've been thinking oh, about yeah, trying yeah. to get trying and, to get and, and I've spent in. a lot of my career and I had an opportunity to sit in on a meeting at when I first started teaching at the high school I was teaching at with a uh, it was the part. It was actually the commissioner of agriculture came to our school where we kind of got into this type of discussion. The uh, let me take a step back and and say first of all, a big part of the reason the laws changing isn't changing. It's all about money. Okay, a, a big part of it is. Now, w- with that said, the other part of it is reinventing education in the way that you're talking about is a process that would take 20 plus years to, to happen. At the fastest. Yeah, at the fa- exactly. Take, but but if we don't start now, if we wait until it's too late, then, you know, it's something that needs to start being incorporated and being talked about, yeah. in my opinion. I think that's how you solve problems in this country is by talking about Well, them. and then the other part of it, especially when you start pre-targeting children, that's become a big topic of discussion um, that if you target a child at... Well, a young age, whatever that is, elementary age, middle school age, even high school age, that you're not going to be college bound. A lot of people have a problem with that, okay? And and um, you know, if it's a choice, it's one thing. Um, 
But even that, whose choice should it be? Should it be the child's choice? Should it be the parent's choice? Mm-hmm. Okay? These are great and, questions. And, and a lot of parents, even with their best intent, don't necessarily make their best choice with their children. I mean, parenting, remember, there, there is no training guide f- to be a parent. And so, so... And I think that's part of the biggest problem. Yeah. Not saying there needs to be a training guide, yeah. but... Um, I would say we have a parenting crisis in yeah. the United States. Well, that's it. And, and and so a lot of things that you're talking about historically have been handled by the, the parents. parents. You know, the kid comes to school for six hours a day and then has gone for 18 hours a day. So where do the parents' responsibility fill in to this? I think it's I think it's a, a two edged sword. I think that there's responsibility on both sides. Yep, yep. I would think and that. there are state laws. I'll give you an example. When it came to to uh, acting as a principal of the nature center, there is a state law that the school district is responsible to teach kindness to animals to every child that comes through. That, I would say that's a good thing. Okay, now. The problem is, where does that fit into your curriculum? And in my case, because every single sixth grader in the county came through my program, then they put that responsibility, or we were used as the primary example of teaching that to the children. But now if they went to another county that didn't have... That same opportunity. The same opportunity, how do they do it? I don't know. Or whether it even comes up in most cases. Most parents don't know there's that state law. Everyone knows it. No most idea. teachers don't know there's that state law. I had no idea. The the other the other real issue with with the whole concept is most adults, most teachers aren't anywhere near qualified to teach the subjects you're talking about. Because they went through the same school system that That's they're right. kids through. That's right. Mm-hmm. And Reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, that was kind of the thing. And and I will add one other thing. Uh, a big part of what the school district, the schools in this country are tasked with is trying to teach kids to think. And believe it or not, some of the s- silliest things that you learn, I'm going to give the example, when you learn, took ge- uh, geometry in high school and you learned about proofs and theorems and so forth, that was all about thinking. You'll never do proofs and theorems again. But, well, it gets into logic and, 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 and how to logically work through a problem. Yeah, but why don't they change? I'm not saying they should take that away. They mm-hmm. should reform it into, okay, um, you know, anybody can buy power tools and mm-hmm. sheets of plywood. And, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody, no, I would say 99.9% of high schoolers couldn't build a basic level like, Woodcraft project. They used mm-hmm. to be mandatory, not mandatory. It used to be an elective mm-hmm. back when you went to school. And so many schools don't have that as an elective that course. That's correct. You but know? And, and that all disappeared. That would be a good way of teaching people to think on the on their well, own. Well, and and that all disappeared as state accountability became more and more important. Trust me, if kids aren't performing, they're going to get another dose of whatever it is that they're underperforming in. And that's there. There's so much pressure. And he realized the state's taking over schools that are not performing. The state's going to, cl- and the counties are going to close schools that are not performing. It's happening right now, and particularly in the last few years that we've had here in this county uh, already, I think five to 10 schools taken over by state mandated 
private companies. Really? Yes. I think that's a problem too. Maybe yeah. Private companies mixed in with the state. Well, you know, and, and I can understand the need for accountability. It it, it is needed in in many ways to make sure that everybody is performing at a high level. So the, the finding that balancing act is really tricky to figure out how do you balance that? How do you use that to get rid of bad teachers and yet not put pressure on everybody else? Well, I think they should start redirecting and, the curriculum. And do you want people taught at a high level? Or, I mean, one way to do it would be just say, all right, every, every student needs to just reach this middle level. Well, wouldn't you say there's a high level of everything in life? There's people who are, are the best sprinters in the world, mm-hmm. but you know there, there's there's people who can't and there run. Are, and there are people that will never run because they don't want to bad enough. They, they don't they don't challenge themselves. They don't. And yeah. I think it. I think all you're doing is changing the channel. You're, you're not like in my opinion. What you're doing is you're taking it. You're teaching kids to be really really good at math, but the real things you can do with math of of like high degree level calculus mm-hmm. is teach that subject is mm-hmm. essentially the jobs that are in that field mm-hmm. and you want to teach more high schoolers you want better people doing better at the jobs that that was the whole point of college mm-hmm. is you want people to be better in the career field when they enter the career field that's better for the country well and, and but that becomes the real question is it better is it you know anytime you get closer to talking about a specific job then you need to focus more and more on the specific skills of that job. And when you focus more on the specific skills of that job, now, could could it be, I mean, that was my, my one dream in life was to rewrite all our curriculum to make it hands-on curriculum. Teach, teach the concepts that you need to teach, but do it through learning to use a, 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 a or how to run a machine shop a metal lathe or well, well, cnc of, machine or one something of, like one that. of the best teachers i've ever had he's been on the podcast before was chef paul because mm-hmm. you learned concepts about food then mm-hmm. you went and did it hands-on you got to mm-hmm. see it firsthand and then you got to eat it too mm-hmm. and you're like wow what you got to you got to learn about it which mm-hmm. was the least fun, and everyone will admit to learning about that stuff is the least fun. How many kids are disengaged in school because mm-hmm. they're just uninterested? In? But then you go to the thing that's interesting that that puts puts the pen to the paper, mm-hmm. and you learn about it, and then you get rewarded by your good work. I mean, job satisfaction is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that that's transferable in school as well. And I think that, um, kind of like blanking on the point that I was going to make, but essentially is that like um, that that you can still have people that are challenged, mm-hmm. but it's just going to be like, oh, here's the point. I remember what it was. Do you, would you agree that you, you having you having employed people, interviewed people, hired people, you can have somebody who is great at teaching but has a horrible home life. They're a terrible adult. And you would think that you want somebody who holistically has a good home life, is a good teacher. You want somebody who is good yeah. in multiple facets of their life. Mm-hmm. That's something you tried. You've talked about on the podcast before. Sure, you well, want to be a well-rounded person. And you want well-rounded people. Yeah. Well, if you're not, te- the, the curriculum now teaches people to go into specific career fields. Basically, mm-hmm. the school system now teaches people to go to college, mm-hmm. and that's oh, that's yes. the skill set. And it's because college has become a business that is. You can't bankrupt yourself out of student loans. They're yep. with you for forever. They'll dock Social Security for people that haven't paid off their student loans. <laughs> and so um, th- my thing is, is if 
if, okay, you want people to be holistically good, what are things that we can teach kids to be better at that makes at least one part of their holistic perspective better? You're mm-hmm. teaching kids to where they just know how to cook. It comes easy. They know that they're going to know how to feed themselves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like then they're going to have, they're going to have more energy to focus and learn once yeah. they get into the actual career yeah. field would be my argument for, yeah. for that. Well, and again, finding people that could even teach that way because, because you would change, would, you would change from needing to hire teachers to yeah. hire people in those fields that can, as a side thing, teach chef. Paul did not go to school to become a teacher. Yeah. Chef Paul went to school to become a chef. Yeah. And then now he has transitioned to becoming a teacher. He was amazing. And and uh, he was, uh, you know, what are they, an A teacher? Is that mm-hmm. what they call it? Is that what they Yeah, like? they had a yeah. uh, high, uh, highly effective uh, he's, teacher. He's been highly effective for yeah. years. Yeah. Because his, his hands-on approach and... But and uh, but unfortunately, not everybody's in that realm. And, and, and so, for example, suppose you... Uh, and we could talk about it as a chef, for instance. Um, it that he has great cooking skills but what if we move in this direction he would also need to be a great communicator educator of mathematics of science of reading of writing so you'd want to integrate all those subject areas into the teaching of cooking that he's doing right. and so in finding people that are are good cooks and that can work with kids is just one step of it. Then trying to put the other. Uh, another thing I learned. That's why I think that they're, they're like I'm not shitting on the entire curriculum. I think that's mm-hmm. why I was saying in elementary school you do have to learn to read, write, yeah. add, subtract, multiply, divide, yeah. PEMDAS. I heard something uh, less than a year ago from a lady that worked with me, and her her husband had been an agriculture teacher, and of course as there's become more pressure to perform academically, that's pulled away from all your um, electives, including agriculture. Which is a well, good portion of this country. Okay, so if let's take let's take a step sideways. If a, if a child is not a good reader, and that's where it all begins typically, then, then not only is he going to have the one reading class that everybody else takes, but they're going to make him take a second reading class. Well, where does that reading class, where does that time in the day come out? It comes out of agriculture, okay? So one of the things I learned with this, this lady whose husband now a retired agriculture teacher, but the last number of years is they became certified reading teachers as well. And, and so they could be the teacher of record teaching that kid to read in this extra class while teaching them agriculture as well. Simultaneously. And so... Two birds and one stone kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. And, and that's... You know, and that's a direction that would really change education is is if you could get people to feel that sense of urgency that they had to do more than just that one job of theirs. But, uh, you know, unions have had a lot of say in what's going on. Right now, unions have, have, have had more say in, in the last couple of years than they did in the past. And of course, you know, they tend not to lean in that direction because they're supporting their customer, the teacher, and the teacher doesn't want to go in that direction in most cases. Now, I had a couple of teachers come work for me when I was at the elementary school that that they wanted to teach all subjects. They didn't want to get into departmentalizing like so many schools had. Be, you know, instead of you being a specialist in, a, in elementary math and elementary science only, they wanted to teach the reading, writing, math, and science so that they could integrate all those pieces together. 
okay? You find less and less of that these days. You will find it with some people that just wanted control of the whole room. <coughs> but, um, but these teachers wanted to do it for the benefit of the children so that they could integrate all the topics together and, and provide a better product for the children. So um, it, it's tough, but, but I, I definitely agree with the idea, and I think it could be done. Mm-hmm. But, but somebody's going to have to start over from square one I think you just need to, to call attention to it, call attention to it, and then start incorporating piece by piece. You know, you don't you don't but, turn a ship all at one time. You do well, it a percentage yeah. at a time. But if there's not somebody carry, if there's not that person carrying that ball, those people that are at the top, typically or or close to the top, will put up barriers because they just see it as unobtainable. And it takes somebody that has the passion, uh, the enthusiasm, the open-mindedness. energy, open-mindedness. Being new to the subject. Yeah. You know, I'm not in the education system, but I'm, I'm clearly, like, I'm able to discuss this at a, at a level where, I, where, obviously, it's very idealistic. But, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe you, that's what these people at the top need to hear is somebody who's idealistic and then, you know, put a portion of it out of work. And just, you know, it's you eat an well, elephant well, a bite at a time. Somebody your age mid-twenties, for years, there was not any opportunities to move into roles that had real influence. I know somebody that was in his late 20s wanting to become an assistant principal. And basically, he was a, he was a chemistry teacher. It's almost laughable. Yeah, it was almost laughable. You haven't done your time yet. Okay? And, and he left education and went back to the private sector. For good reason. Yeah, because of opportunity. And now I think there's more opportunity now than there ever has been at it. But, and, 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 and you could even go as far as to start your own charter school, for instance. Get funding, state funding, to help it, but, but offer it in this whole new package. So there's opportunity out there. Is the county going to necessarily go there and rewrite all this curriculum? It's a lot of work. Rewrite all this curriculum based on this whole new philosophy of teaching. Where, there, where there's no proven science or anything like exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so so it's going to take somebody building their, um, building their support, building the people around them it, to it go down that road. It needs to build road. its own reputation. It needs to have its own two feet to stand on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now before, I know you said you wanted to, you had till about 11. Yep, uh, yep. So in the, in the last five minutes, I don't want to talk about, uh, I wanted to mention... Um, I think that a, a huge problem with school is that kids are uninterested in their subjects, mm-hmm. and and because they're uninterested, they have that energy that they have, but because in class they're so bored out of their minds mm-hmm. that they're just working through it, and then they get home and they explode with all this energy, mm-hmm. and then that's how I think that there is a big issue with so many kids becoming ADHD or ADD because they can't focus on something that they're not interested in all. Mm-hmm. at school mm-hmm. and i think that when you start putting kids on these you know um what are they uh, suppressants or, yeah, the medication uh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 these these job these medications that basically make their kid tired mm-hmm. because their kid has all this energy but it's like i think that just too many kids 
have energy that's not being expelled because they're learning about subjects they're uninterested in. And I'm not yeah. saying you have to cater to every kid and only do stuff they're interested in because mm-hmm. that can go off on a very, very far tangent. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of what, what you were saying about being hands-on, I think would help yeah. a lot of kids as well. Exactly. And, and I don't think ADHD is caused by the kids sitting in the classroom for six hours a day. Does does it benefit the kid to sit there for six hours? No, it doesn't. And and if you looked at it's a multifacet thing, what a good classroom looks like these days, the kids aren't just sitting there. And uh, when when the, the county here, Hillsborough County Schools, received the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant for a hundred million dollars to basically reinvent teaching, uh, you know, they pushed the school district in that direction to. Um, have the ki- the work being done more student-centered and less teacher-centered. And they bought teacher evaluation that way. So I've seen some really good classrooms where teachers are really engaging with the children and, and they're successful. And to me, the ADHD almost ties more to the lack of stability in the home life mm-hmm. and the lack of parental skills. But that's like the double-edged sword again, because if, if, the, you know, if households have that problem, mm-hmm. you know, but then you're doing school on top of it in that same area. If, if the school system relies on the parents, the parents are going to rely on the school system. Yeah. You know, essentially schools yeah. to a certain point are to educate people while also simultaneously babysitting them while the parents Exactly. Work. And, and parents aren't doing enough because in many cases they're tired or they don't have the skills to raise the children and to have the discussions with their children um, that they need to be having. And, and really, in the end, all children want is their parents to, you know, in, in, be involved in their life. Same thing with their teachers. Yeah. They, yeah. Want, to, they want to feel like they're, they're involved. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So. Well, I think that's a good message to go out on. Okay. Is that we need to, more parents being involved, more, more teachers being involved and taking extreme, extreme ownership and accountability for, mm-hmm. you know, if if your kid's got some issues going on, don't blame it on someone else. Do everything in your power to take control of it. I would I would say probably yep. be the message there. Yeah. So well, thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely, it's been fun. All right. Thanks Two so hours much. flew by. I know. I, yeah, it really did. <laughs> I'm kind of sad that you had to go. Yeah. But, uh, uh, next yeah. time I expect uh, my own Hornaday hat. Horn- okay. Yeah. Hornady. I'm sure you got a closet full of them. Uh, oh, yeah. Ready okay. to. Yeah. I'm not. I don't make my uncle's money yet. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks for peace. Sure Bye, enough, Ryan. Hello, everybody. This episode is over, but if you would like to support the podcast, you can head on over to the Instagram account to Somehow We're Adults and use the link in the bio to donate to the PayPal account there. All of the money that is donated will be used to make the podcast better. But either way, I'll keep it going. Make sure to follow the podcast where you listen to it for future episodes of Somehow We're Adults. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.